Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. So we left off with a question earlier. What is the point of Torah mitzvot if indeed the divine energy, creative energy, is really the essence of everything that exists? Everything that exists exists within it's a divine essence. It's like the light that emanates from the sun but is still within the sun. And therefore nothing really exists other than the sun. So really our essence is the divine energy, the divine creative energy that creates us. Then what is the point of doing Torah mitzvah? Taking an object and doing a mitzvah with it and thereby changing it into a holy object. Even before you did the mitzvah with it, the object was holy because its essence is truly divine is truly godly and the other question we had was that he said that every object everything in this world has a name a hebrew name has hebrew letters which are really the divine energies and the different combinations of letters that create that combine and make up different words create all the multiple things that exist in the universe every creature, every item has its own unique name and therefore it has its own unique characteristics, its own unique nature because it's, the name is different, the combination of the letters are different and each shape of a letter, which means to say that the divine energy that creates the world, there's a multitude of divine energies that create the world and the question was, God is one, God is indivisible, how can you say that there are multiple gods, God forbid? God is one. So how do you have this multiple universe that, uh, that we live in? And he explained that the understanding that God's kindness, God's creative energy is compared to the sun. And then God also has the ability to hide, to conceal. And that's like the shield that blocks the sun, that screens the sun. So that understanding is not an accurate understanding. Because the shield is not just blockage, it's not just a screen. The shield is actually dynamic. The shield introduces something dynamic. When the light goes through the shield, the shield is, is like a vessel, it's like a prism, through which the light, the light goes through the prism, and based on the colors you have of glass that's red, yellow, purple, or blue, you get, you have different effects. You have a yellow light, and you have a blue light, and you have a red light. So the prism affects the light. So when the light passes through the prism, the prism affects the light, that what you see at our end, at the receiving end, we actually see a blue light. We actually see a yellow light and a red light. Now, the prism does not affect the light itself. The light itself remains pure. Undefined, beyond color. Even when the light goes through the prism, the light itself, the properties of the light are not affected. The light, in relationship to itself, the light remains pure light. But in relationship to us, the receiving end, what do we get? We receive and we get a blue light, a red light, a yellow light, all the different colors. So, the symptom or the shield, is actually a vessel. The letters are actually a vessel. 
when the letters contain the light, it shapes the light. And the light, you get a multiple energies that create, that made up, make up different names and that create all the diverse, all the entities, diverse entities that exist in the universe. That create this multiplicity and this pluralism that exists in the universe. But at the same time, it doesn't affect the light. It doesn't affect the source. The source remains one and undivisible. It remains God. And God is absolutely one and undivisible. So regarding, from, from the light's perspective, nothing has changed. The light is not affected by the prism, by the vessels, by the letters. The light itself remains pure, infinite, indivisible. And the, from God's point of view, the world is nothing other than God's creative energy, and therefore there's nothing but God. But at the same time, from our perspective, and our perspective is a genuine perspective, because it's the light that goes through the letters, which is God's ability to hide, to conceal, to restrain. And it's actually, it's a prism that actually has the ability to shape the light, at least regarding the effect of the light, that the effect is that it actually creates a blue light and a yellow light and a red light. It creates an entity. An entity that separates from God. An entity that's not, a whole, that's not divine. It's not God. It's other than God. And then when you do Torah, when you do mitzvot, when you take a physical object that was created through the light as it's affected through the prism, it's affected by the vessel, which creates a separate entity. An entity, a diverse entity, a separate entity. That's not God. And then when we come and we take this object and we do a mitzvah with it, we change it and transform it into a sacred object. So we're accomplishing something through our mitzvah. We're taking something that was not holy and only by the fact that we did a mitzvah with it we take this leather hide and we transform it into a Sefer Torah, into a holy scroll. The object physically, the physical object becomes a sacred object, a holy object, with sanctity. We imbue it with sanctity. We've changed the object, transformed it forever and ever. Because we've taken an object that was created through the tzimtzum, meaning God's creative energy, God's infinite creative ability, was shaped and defined like the light that's shaped through the prism that you see a yellow light and a red light and a blue light and a purple light. So too, the divine energy was, so to speak, comes through the, the vessel, through the prism, and therefore it creates a diverse, many letters, many energies, many names, and it creates a diverse universe, a, worse, a universe that's an entity separate from God. And we have to take this universe and transform it into something godly, into something holy, through Torah mitzvot. At the same time, from God's point of view, nothing changed. The light is not affected. From God's point of view, there's nothing but God. The light is not affected. The light is unchanged. The light is undefined. The light is everywhere. Even the blue light and yellow light and red light that we see from the light's point of view, the light hasn't changed. The light is the same. So the light remains unaffected, the light remains the same. So from God's point of view, nothing changed. God was alone before He created the world. He's alone after He created the world. Because what is everything? Everything is nothing other than the godly creative energy. And God sees the divine creative energy everywhere. He doesn't see it. There's nothing else. So from God's point of view, there's nothing but God. But from our point of view, 
which results from God's symptom, from God's letters, from God's vessels, which is God's ability to define and to limit and to contain. And when His light shines through the prism, it creates a blue light and a yellow light. It actually creates an entity that is separate, a self-entity. So existence is real. And when we go and we take this physical object and we do a mitzvah with it, we transform it into a holy object, into a godly object. We reveal the unity of God in this object. We change it into a holy object. So we accomplish something through Torah and Mitzvah. And to prove that point, he starts out here in chapter 5 with the Medrash. Concerning this, example, concerning the concept that all of creation came about through the process of Simpson, which enables created beings to believe that they enjoy an independent form of existence. Our sages of blessed, of blessed memory said, Originally it arose in God's thought to create the world through the attribute of stern judgment, through the attribute of sinsum and gvura. He saw, however, that in this manner the world could not endure. So he associated the attribute of mercy in its creation. It says, Bereshit bar Hashem created the world with the name Elokim. The name Elokim is the name of severity, of strictness, of restraint. And then it says... In the day that Hashem, Hashem Elokim, he uses both names of Hashem. That Hashem created the world with the name Hashem Elokim. So the Medrash says, initially Hashem had in mind to create the world with the name Elokim. That the world should be run on justice, pure justice, pure justice. When he saw that the world would be, would cannot contain, wouldn't last long, but <laughs> be destroyed. So therefore he, he, he associated the attribute of mercy. And the Medrash uses a marshal, an example. He says, at first, he said he's going to pour hot water into the world. You know, he had a vessel. You're going to pour very hot water, the vessel will crack. Then he said, he'll pour very cold water, it'll also affect the vessel. So he mixed the hot and the cold, and he came up with the right, the right temperature, balance. So God initially was going to create the world with strictness. But he saw that the world cannot last, so therefore he mixed... He had mercy, and he mixed it with the attribute of mercy. Now, if you read the Medrash superficially, it appears that the Medrash is saying that the Medrash is talking about the conduct of the world. How is God going to conduct this world? How will he relate to the world? Either with sternness, with justice. Everything in life would be a court of law, like a court of law. Everything is based on truth. There's no diplomacy. There's no compassion. There's no... Then who would survive? Who could survive? Even angels put under the microscope, put under scrutiny. Everyone has skeletons in the closet. Even angels are not perfect if you really put them under the microscope. So Hashem saw the world would not last. Even with mercy, look what happened. We had the flood and we had, the, we had all the severe judgments. But Hashem saw you couldn't last. Hashem is not going to conduct the world a combination of severity and a combination of, of compassion, of kindness. But if you look clearly in the wording of the Medrash, the Medrash says, in the beginning God entertained the thought of creating the world. He doesn't say of running the world. The thought of creating the world with the attribute of justice, which leads to two questions. Firstly, how can you create with justice? If we said earlier that the name Elohim, which represents restraint, is like the shield. The shield 
is not a creative force. The shield just blocks something else, conceals something else. It just hides. How can you create the world just with hiding if there's nothing to hide? The world has to be created with the name Hashem, which is the name of God's kindness. With Kale, Hashem's kindness. God's creative ability. And His kindness of creating something from nothing. Then He takes His energy and He hides it and He conceals it so we shouldn't sense it, we shouldn't perceive it, we shouldn't feel it. And it's as if there is no divine energy. So Elikim is just a shield. If Elikim is just a shield, just a cover-up, what does the Medrash mean that God was going to create the world with the name Elohim? You can't create nothing from nothing. And, and secondly, why would God create the world with severity? God is kind. The whole act of creation is an act of kindness, an act of love. So why would God want to create the world with strictness and severity and justice? So from this Midrash he proves that Elohim is not just a shield. The whole point he was making in the, in the beginning of the, um, of the parentheses, the end of this last chapter, chapter 4, that the, the, it's not just a shield, it's not just a negative, it's not just a hiding, a concealment. It's actually something positive, creative. It's a vessel, it's a prism that actually shapes the light, changes the light, shapes the light. Not the light regarding itself. It doesn't affect the light in its own right, but it affects the, the effect of the light, the consequence of the light. When the light goes through the prism, it actually is a blue light and it actually is a yellow light. So when the light of the divine creative energy is screened through the vessel, through the name Elohim, through Hashem's tzimtzum, through His letters, the letters actually shape the divine energy and therefore give us multiple energies to create the multiple universe and actually creates an entity that senses that it's separate from God. At first glance, this is incomprehensible. Hashem desires to act with goodness, to treat His creatures benevolently. Why then did He first plan to create the world through the attitude of strict justice? According to what has been explained above, this is entirely understandable. In order for created beings to believe that they possess independent existence, there must be the process of tzimtzum, which is an expression of the stern attribute of Gevara. Without it, all of creation would be completely nullified within its source. Hashem, however, desired that created beings maintain that they possess independent existence in order for them to be able to serve Him and ultimately be rewarded for their service. Thus, it is specifically Gavura and Simpson that enable them to realize the ultimate purpose of creation. The original plan for creation, therefore, was that it should be dominated by the attribute of stern judgment. When, however, Hashem saw that if He created the world in this manner it could not endure, He tempered it by the attribute of mercy. Why indeed would the world not be able to endure otherwise? Because if creation had come about under such auspices alone, the life force of holiness would have been utterly hidden. Accordingly, the spiritual task of revealing godliness in such a world would have been inordinately arduous. Hashem therefore involved the attribute of mercy in the creation of the world so that holiness and godliness could be revealed within it. So that explains why, although Hashem is kind, why He wanted to create the world with the attribute of din, with the attribute of severity. And the reason is because that is the whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation is that there should be an entity, a real entity, that senses that it's separate and apart from God, 
and that we should have freedom of choice, and that we should take this entity and through Torah, mitzvot, transform it into something divine, reconnect it to the divine, and reveal through this entity, within this entity, by making it a sacred object, revealing the unity of God, that there is no other reality but God. By taking this object and fulfilling the will of God with this object, you are connecting it with God, with Hashem, and therefore you reveal that there is no other reality but God. You reveal the unity of Hashem within this object. Therefore you change this object from a mundane object into a holy, sacred object. Since this is the whole purpose of creation, that's why God wanted to create the world only with the Midas Hadim, only with the attribute of of, of severity, which means the attribute of kindness, which would, the light will go through the prism. The creative ability, the creation, doesn't come from severity. Creation itself comes from the light, the, God's creative ability, but it's the creative ability, the way it's contained in the, in the vessel, in the letters, where, where the light is shown through the prism. But God saw that the world would not, could not contain it will be too concealed. Godliness will be too concealed. It will be too difficult. As it is, we're struggling. As it is, 3,800 years later, we're still sitting in exile. Could you imagine if the world was really created and was totally, godliness was totally hidden and concealed, the world was rigid, and the world was, was totally natural, without any revelation of something godly within this world, then the world simply could not survive we would not be able to accomplish our task. The ultimate goal is that everything has to be done through in a natural way. There's a story that Albert Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, and he was sitting in prison. He was arrested two years after he published the Tanya. He was arrested. They informed him and the authorities and they made a libel against him that he's supporting the Turkish government, which was the arch enemy of Israel because he was sending money to Israel. It was under the Ottoman Empire. He could have been sentenced to death. And he was taken to prison in St. Petersburg. And um, the prison is like in an island. You have to take a boat to see the prison. They actually went to visit. And um, the communists, this was like a museum because that's where they released all the communists when they threw over the, the czar. The Bolsheviks released all their prisoners from this prison. So this prison became like the famous prison, czar's prison in St. Petersburg. And... Um, when al Rebbe was taken for questioning, they rode him across the river to the city. And al Rebbe was there till Yutas Kislev, 19th of Kislev. One of the times that they rode him, it was there for like 53 days, one of the times they rode him, it was time to sanctify the new moon. He saw a beautiful moon. So he asked the captain, please do me a favor, stop the boat. I want to perform the mitzvah of sanctifying the new moon captain looked at him. <laughs> this is a prisoner. Maybe sentenced to death. He says, are you kidding? No way. Am I going to stop this boat, this prisoner? Again? He said, no. Absolutely not. You're a prisoner. Dr. Rebbe asked him again. He says, please, I'm asking you, stop the boat. I must sanctify the new moon. It's an obligation. It's a mitzvah. He says, absolutely not. And then, when he refused, the boat suddenly miraculously stuck. He just couldn't get the boat to move. No matter what he did, the boat was stuck. It just didn't budge. And then the boat started going again. He was able to row. Now the Alter Rebbe turns to him. And he said, 
Now, please do me a favor. Please stop the book. After he saw this miracle, and he saw who the Alter Rebbe was, and he saw what he's dealing with, he says, sure, I'll stop the boat. Take, take, uh, he gave him enough time, he should sanctify the moon, and then they continued on to interrogation. So the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said when he heard the story as a child, he was always puzzled. Why did Alter Rebbe have to ask the captain the third time to stop the boat? It was already stopped. Once he already stopped it. Because it wasn't stopped naturally. Ah. He says it wasn't until he grew up and he learned Hasidus and what we're learning now in the Tanya that the whole purpose of creation was that God wanted that there should be a natural world and that a Jew should come and change the natural world. Take a natural world, a mundane world, a materialistic world, a world that's not godly and take and do a mitzvah with it, and thereby sanctify the natural. Reveal godliness within the natural world. That is the whole purpose of creation. So much so that God initially thought that maybe I should just create the world with the power of din, the power of restraint, the power of the name Elohim. In other words, the godliness should be restrained and, and hidden and concealed. So that a Jew should be able to come and transform this entity into a divine and unify it with the divine with the divine and then God saw that the world can't last so he mixed he had mercy he had mercy and therefore he mixed in he mixed the two and now he understood why the Alter Rebbe had to stop the boat had to ask the person to stop the boat because it had to be the mitzvah must be performed in a natural way if you perform the mitzvah in a miraculous way, you're missing the whole point of the mitzvah. That's why it says in the Zohar, a mitzvah has to cost. A mitzvah has to cost you money. If a mitzvah doesn't cost you anything in the natural world, it doesn't, there's no price, and it's not real. The whole point of a mitzvah is that it has to be part of the natural world. And therefore, so when he had no choice, he made a miracle. He should realize who he's dealing with. <laughs> and... Once he realized who he was dealing with, then he asked him, okay, politely, now, now will you stop the boat? But he had to get his permission. It had to come from him that it was natural. The boat started going. Only when the boat started moving again, then he asked him. And he said, yes, he was able to fulfill the mitzvah in a totally natural way. But Hashem saw that the world could not survive. So therefore, although God is kind, he wanted to create the world because that's the ultimate kindness. That's the ultimate purpose of creation. But because Hashem saw the world could not survive, so what did He do? So He had mercy, and He associated the attribute of mercy. What is the attribute of mercy? Now the Alter Rebbe is going to explain what is the attribute of mercy. Second paragraph from the bottom, 871. That is, I mean, He combined with the attribute of mercy means the revelation within the world of godliness and of supernatural power through the tzaddikim, and through the signs and miracles recorded in the Torah. It was stated in the previous chapter that both the expansive and creative attribute of Chesed and the concealing and constricted attribute of Avora transcend the grasp of created beings. This is the attribute of mercy are the tzaddikim, the holy Jews, the saintly Jews, their being, their presence, the fulfilling of mitzvot, and the miracles, all the wonders and miracles through the Torah, 
that are in the Torah and also the wonders and miracles that the tzaddikim perform throughout all the generations. In other words, although God created the world through letters, through words, which really define the world and give each object its unique character and its unique uh, properties and creates the world of nature as we know it, with its rules and laws, laws of nature, which are, feel very natural and are very real, nevertheless, Hashem placed within the world reminders that are beyond nature. He placed in the world things that shatter nature, that transcend nature, that are unnatural, that are higher than nature, above nature, and that remind us of godliness. He gave us windows. He he left a few windows to the soul. Transparent windows that have a transparent connection godliness, to remind us that there's something above and beyond. And those are the tzaddikim, the righteous ones. Their being, their presence, their saintly beings. It reminds you that there's something that's beyond this world. They're in this world, they're part of this world, and yet they're head and shoulders above this world. They're like a a window to the soul, a window to heaven. There's no concealment for them. To them, godliness is transparent. So they live in this world, and yet they're totally above the world. As Alter Rebbe says, the tzaddik has no struggle. The tzaddik doesn't struggle with the Yetzirah, has no evil inclination, has no temptation. A tzaddik is totally transformed as being. And therefore the tzaddik is like a different human being altogether. When you're in the presence of a tzaddik, when you look at the tzaddik, it reminds you of godliness. It reminds you that there's something that's way beyond the world that we live in, the confines of the world that we live in, way beyond time and space and nature and the rules and laws of nature, there's a reality that totally transcends it. Just the presence of the tzaddik, the being of the tzaddik, reminds us and even affects, affects the world that we live in. And not only the, the, we know in every generation of 36 hidden, hidden tzaddik, just their mere presence in the world already makes the world a more refined place, a place where godliness becomes accessible, and especially through the miracles. Just like the tzaddikim, it doesn't matter if the tzaddikim, like the patriarchs, the righteous ones, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, Moses, the prophets, the, uh, the, the rabbis, the great assembly, the rabbis of the Talmud, the, the, the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Tanoim, Amaroim, the Ga'oinim, the the Rishonim in the medieval times, the Hasidic masters, they were all heavenly beings. They were all godly beings. So these tzaddikim, these, just by their being and their presence, reminded us that there is something godly. There's something beyond that meets the eye. There's a reality that's beyond, beyond nature, beyond our comprehension. There's something more, like a window to heaven, a window to the divine. And especially all the miracles, whether the miracles in the Torah, the splitting of the sea, whether the miracles of the prophets, you read the prophets, miracle after miracle after miracle, mind-boggling miracles. The miracles in the Talmud, the Midrash, of the Talmudic rabbis, the, the miracles of the, of the Goinim, of the Rishonim, Rashi. Rabbi Huda, Chassid, Rokeach, all these medieval rabbis were astonishing miracle workers. 
And then the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov performed miracles we haven't seen since the times of, since the times of Eliyahu and Navi. Astonishing miracle after astonishing miracle after astonishing miracle. Every second, every step of the way was just another stupendous, stupefying miracle until it became the expression of Balshemska, something Balshemska happened, something a Balshemska miracle, something that totally defies logic, totally be- shatters all the rules and laws of nature. And by the Balshemska, this happened as a, as a natural course. This was, this, was, this was the natural course of things. Stunning, one stunning miracle after the other. So much so that Alter Rebbe testified that his teacher, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magad the Mezrish, and the Balshemtov were literally able to see with their physical eye from one end of the world to the other. And they described as if it was right before their eyes. This is miraculous. This is mind-boggling. And this was a reality. There were human beings in this world, and yet there was something totally godly about them and their abilities. And when you, so when, you, when a miracle happens, something that's impossible happens, when the splitting of the sea happens, you're stuck, and suddenly the splitting of the sea happens. It reminds you. It makes you realize. When the Jew went to the temple and he saw ten miracles, the Jew realized that there's that what we see, we are the effect of the tzimtzum. But the truth is, there is a reality that transcends the tzimtzum. There is the reality of the infinite, of the God, of the infinite creative energy, which is not defined by the tzimtzum. Even when the light is, goes through this prism and the light turns into red light and yellow light and blue light, the light itself remains unaffected. That God remains undefined and infinite. And His infinity is found in the world of the finite. That miraculously the fire did not burn Avram. In this world of nature, where everything is rigid and everything is predictable and everything is natural, miracles happen that totally defy nature, that shatter nature. The miracles that happened to the Jewish people in the Exodus of Egypt. Moshe, 40 years of miracles, one miracle after the next. Earth-shattering miracles. Totally broke every law in the book. And this was a way of life for that generation, which revealed to them that, there is, that what we see is not necessarily what you get. That the truth is that there is a reality, that, that everything is truly godly. Everything is nothing other than the godly creative energy, which is infinite, and therefore everything is truly godly. But when you see it in your life, in this world, performed through a tzaddik, through a human being, it reminds you that at the essence everything is truly godly. So God left this window open. He left a window that we can get a glimmer, a glimpse, a taste, an illumination. Because otherwise the darkness would be too, too intense. When you're engulfed by nature and you're engulfed by the darkness and you can never lift your head and you can never take a, a break from nature and you can never step back and get a different perspective, it would be impossible for us to, to overcome the nature, overcome the darkness. Because you can sit and explain this and still it will be difficult for a person to really experience godliness because it's so beyond our experience. But when a miracle happens in your personal life, and you see the open hand of God in your life, where a miracle happened, the doctor said nothing, there's no cure, and suddenly you're cured, because the Rebbe gave you a blessing. When you see the open miracle happen in your life, something that shatters nature, that breaks laws of nature, you suddenly realize, suddenly, it hits home, the reality of godliness, the infinite. 
that everything is at the substance, at the essence, everything is truly godly. And that's like an awakening that opens your eyes. They should realize that don't look at the surface, look underneath it, look at the divine energy. Experience the divine energy, see the divine energy, start living accordingly. So this is what the Medrash means. The Medrash means that when God saw that he want, God wanted to create the world, He just entertained the thought. He never actually created the world in this way. But He entertained the thought that He's going to create the world only with concealment. In other words, that the divine light will be totally concealed in the vessel, in the prism, and therefore the world of nature will never be broken. There won't be any miracles. There won't be any miracles. God will never change the world of nature. But God saw that we, we would not then be able to accomplish our goal, accomplish our mission of changing the world, because we would be stuck. We would be confined. And therefore, God instilled in the world, He mixed in His attribute of mercy, of compassion. So He instilled in the world, initially in creation, He instilled in the world, in the letters and words of creation, because the whole world is created through the Torah, so he initi- in the words and letters of the Torah, he put in, he inserted that ability of transcendence, that ability of rising above nature. As the Medrash says, as the Talmud says, that God made a condition with water. The water, at the splitting of the sea, did not want to split. But God made a condition. He says, if you do not split, I'm only creating in the condition that when the time will come, you will split and let the Jewish people go by. And when he refused to do it, Moshe says, if you don't split, I'm going to return you back to, to your, I'm going to return you back to nothing. Because you only exist in the condition that you will split at the right time. So God inserted right initially, when God created the world, with the letters and words, with the names, the Hebrew names, the letters and the words, as they are found in the Torah. So God inserted in the Hebrew letters, in the Hebrew words, God already inserted all the miracles that will happen throughout the course of history. It's all there, right in the beginning. He made a condition that everything that exists in nature, that they must perform the miracle when the tzaddik will command them to break nature and to follow the miracle. So it was all there right in the beginning. This is the condition that God instilled initially, right in the beginning of creation. And that's the power of the Torah. The power of the Torah is the Torah, on one hand, God creates the world through the Torah. But on the other hand, the Torah also transcends the world. The Torah introduces into the world, the Torah introduces the divine into the world. So the miracles that exist within creation, that God initially inserted right at the beginning of creation when God spoke and the world came into being. So in these letters, God also inserted a level that transcends letters, that transcends words, a level where you can easily change one word for the next because it's not about the word, it's about what's inside the word. And therefore, if you're in touch with what's inside the word, you can easily change one word for the next. As the as the, the miracle worker said in the Talmud, he says, whoever said that oil will burn will say that vinegar will burn. What difference does it make? Why does oil burn? Because of the divine energy within the oil, within the word shemen. So, we'll change that, that the divine energy in the word chaymet will also burn. 
Because once you're in touch with the content, then you can easily change one word for the next. You can say the same thing in many different words. Someone who's not mastered the content, a student who's just repeating what his teacher said, can only repeat word for word. Because he doesn't really master the concept and therefore he can't really change the wording. So the rest of us who are not tzaddikim, we are confined to the world, confined to the world of nature. But the tzaddik, who has mastered through Torah, he has mastered, he has become one with God, with the infinite light that's within the word, so he can easily change one word for the next. And therefore, whoever said, Barshemtiv, Barshemtiv used to love light. One time they ran out of light. So Barshemtiv said, no problem. He hung up icicles, he lit the icicles, and the icicles lit. The same God that said that the wax should burn, in this case, icicles burn. Because when you're the master, when you're connected to the infinite, you're connected to the Torah, then you can easily change one word to the next. It's not even really a change. It's all one, something. Right, on that level it's all one, and therefore you can, no, you know, because it was an icicle, you didn't make the icicle disappear, that the icicle should burn like a candle. Still within the 22 letters, you cannot break the 22 letters. Yeah, yeah, he didn't make it disappear, but he changed, right, within the 22 letters he changed the properties and the miracle app, showing, revealing to us that what's primary is not the symptom, is not the letters, what's primary is what's within the letter. The divine energy. That's what's primary. And through Torah, you become one with the divine. You become the master. The masters of Torah. The tzaddikim. Were masters and became one with the divine. And therefore, it's the same light. From the divine's perspective, it's the same light in, in, the, in the oils. The same light in the, in the, in the uh, vinegar. The same light in the icicle. The same light in the candle. The difference is to us. That to us, a candle is a candle. And an icicle is an icicle with its own unique properties. Candles burn, icicles don't. Icicles extinguish flames. Fire burns. But when you're in touch with the Master, you master the Torah and you become one with the Divine, then the icicle can burn. Avram was able to walk in the fire and take a walk. And it was a botanical garden. The wood and the fire that was meant to... To, to uh, intensify the fire turned into a botanical gardens three days he wandered around the fire who says fire has to burn it's not the fire was extinguished the fire was a fire and it was a, a botanical garden. garden because from God's point of view God is not confined even after he creates the world God is not confined even after the light goes through the prism and you see the red light, the light itself is not changed. The light itself remains pure light. It's only the effect that's changed. To us, the receiver. But from, God's, from the light's point of view, it's all the same. So when the tzaddik, who has mastered the Torah, become one with the divine, he is able to reveal the divine in the world. He's able to make the fire shouldn't burn. The icicle should light up. The vinegar should act like oil. The sea should split. The sea should, sea should stand up like a wall instead of flowing down. So the tzaddik, when you experience that miracle, when the Jewish people experience the miracles of the splitting of the sea and all the other miracles, when you experience a miracle in your life, a blessing from a Rebbe, a miracle in your life, you experience, you realize that there, it's, not what's, it's not the external, it's what's inside. It's the divine energy. 
and that ultimately everything is really infinite and ultimately there's no other reality but God. That gives you a lot of lights of fire. That motivates you to study Torah and do mitzvot. The ultimate goal is to study Torah with the human mind and to do mitzvah, to take natural objects, physical objects, and do a mitzvah with it. And as we said earlier, to do it in a natural way. But if a Jew never saw a miracle, if a Jew never encountered a tzaddik, you would be swallowed up by the world. You wouldn't believe it's possible. But when you experience, you see the meet the tzaddik and you experience the miracle, it lights a fire into you. It reminds you that reality is not what it appears to be. Nature is just a cover-up. And that our mission is to transform something natural to something divine through Torah and Mitzvah. So after the miracle, the miracle gives you that energy, gives you that motivation, enthusiasm. It reminds you, it's a glimpse. You see the paths. The path is illuminated. For a brief moment, you get a glimpse of something divine, of something godly, of something otherworldly, of something transcendent, which gives you a, a shot in the arm to do what you have to do. So Hashem had mercy on us. Hashem had mercy and He contained in the world. He left, in the world, He left the ability for us to totally rise above nature. There should be a tzaddik, a human being who's like miraculous, saintly, just be otherworldly, beyond human. Something that's, that's just, just a godly person. Something that's surprising, that reminds us of the divine, of the godly. Transparent. When the Jew went to the temple three times a year and saw the ten miracles, witnessed and experienced the ten miracles that happened as a matter of course of nature in the temple, it reminded the Jew when he went back to his farm, when he went back to his estate, that it reminded him of what it's all about. That what we see is just the, it's just nature. Nature is just the symptom. It's God's letters. It's God's words. It's the vessel. But what's contained inside it, the creative energy is God's infinite creative ability. And therefore inside of us it's really all divine, it's all God. Everything in the world is really all godly. There's nothing other from God. There's not, no other reality but God. From God's perspective, nothing changes. He remains alone. God is everywhere. There's no darkness, there's no concealment. And when you saw and experienced that, that enabled you, that enabled you to deal with the world to engage in the world and to elevate and to transform the world because that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not to shatter the world. The ultimate goal is to elevate the world. And that's why the ultimate miracle is like the miracle that's coming up, the miracle of Purim. What's so stupendous about the miracle of Purim? Why is Purim compared to Yom Kippur? Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippur is like Purim. Purim is much greater. People mistakenly think Purim is like a child's holiday children's holiday, you get dressed up and a mask and you have fun. Purim is one of the most significant holidays. It's compared to Yom Kippur. No other holiday is compared to Yom Kippur. Matter of Yom Kippur is compared to Purim. What happened on Purim? Purim is the only Megillah, it's one of the 24 books, the Megillah is one of the 24 books of the Torah, the prophets and the writings. It's the only Megillah God's name is not even mentioned once. Why? Because it wasn't an open miracle, it wasn't an obvious miracle. If you read the story of Purim, if you lived during the time of Purim, it wasn't a, a, like a splitting of the sea. It wasn't an open and obvious miracle. It, it's a story that happened over 12 years. You know, if you read your New York Times every day, well, we stopped reading New York Times. If you read your paper every morning and you just follow, follow along the story, it's, it's almost like a natural event. Achashvedr got angry at his wife. Okay, what else is new? He had her beheaded in those days. 
or hung, and he had, and then he got lonely, and he looked for a wife, and just happened to be he found Esther, and Esther intervened on the Jewish people's behalf, and Jewish people were saved. This this took place over many many years. There was no open miracle. There was no like thunder and lightning, some earth shattering event. It seemed like a very natural event, and yet it was the greatest miracle. Because it's only when you opened your eyes and you connected all the dots that you realized how Hashem's hand was guiding the whole thing. Hashem prepared the cure before the illness. He already put, it, put Esther into place. So when Haman, Haman has his decree, Esther is already there. And Mordechai saved Achashverosh's life, which later on the, the whole, caused the whole miracle to happen. Achashverosh couldn't sleep because... He says no one, he's suspected that Haman is plotting against him. And no one is telling him because why should they tell him? Someone else told him in the past that someone was plotting against him and he never rewarded him. He looked up his records and he found out Mordechai saved his life and he never, never acknowledged it. And the whole miracle happened. He invited Mordechai and his reward was he should be led with the king. He asked Haman what he should do with the, with the person the king wants to, wants to honor. And he said, and he said the, they should sit on the horse and they should move, etc. It's only when the whole story happened, you look back and you realize it was one big miracle. It was an astonishing miracle. But Hashem worked in a natural way. That's the ultimate miracle. But the ultimate miracle is not to destroy nature, to destroy the world, to shatter the world. The miracles of the Exodus from Egypt, which climaxed and culminated in Yom Kippur, with the giving of the Torah, the second, Torah, the second Luchot, were open miracles obvious miracles that shattered the world and it didn't last 40 days later the Jews worshipped the golden calf the miracle of Purim however when the Jewish people became a people for the first time when they internalized their Jewishness and they accepted it on their own the miracle was within nature it was a natural phenomenon it was a totally natural phenomenon because the nature itself became transformed and elevated into a miraculous event so that ultimate goal, ultimate purposes, that a Jew should open his eyes and a Jew should be able to see the miracles within nature. Because the purposes, again, the purpose is God wants nature. He doesn't want to shatter the world. He doesn't want to destroy the world. That's why initially God had in mind that He's going to create the world with din. Because that's the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is the world should be a natural world. A predictable world, a natural world, yet within that world, Hashem wants a Jew to reveal godliness, to change, to, re- to change, transform the natural into something divine, into something godly. So when Hashem saw that the world could not survive, if a Jew didn't have a tzaddik, if Jewish people did not have tzaddik, a transcendent being, a person who's beyond, you know, beyond our human logic and imagination, if we didn't experience miracles, open miracles, have no logical explanation, just an open, obvious miracle that God broke the laws of nature, we were stuck, we were desperate, and we had no way out, in any natural way we were stuck, and miraculously everything cleared up, and miraculously everything worked out. When you experience that, it hits home to you, the reality of God, and the reality that Hashem is with us every step of the way, and that there is nothing other but, but God. And that the energy within everything that exists, all of creation, all of nature, is nothing other than the divine, the supernatural, the God. And that gives you a shot in the arm. That gives you a tremendous inspiration to go about your life, to 
be able to withstand all the temptations, to be able to withstand all the tests, and to be able to go about filling your mission of engaging in the world, and day by day, changing, changing the world into a godly place. It is correct that when it's in the middle the only holiday that's going to be remained in the Jewish holidays is poor. Right. And that's, that's the reason, because the miracle of Purim, it was an astounding miracle, but the miracle was within the world. That's what Mashiach is all about. Mashiach is that the world itself will become holy and will become God, without shattering the world. Mashiach will not shatter the world. Mashiach will reveal within the world, Mashiach will reveal godliness within the world. That's the whole point. That's why Purim will be a significant holiday even after the coming of Mashiach. Is there a reason that the 32 tzaddikim are hidden? You know, sometimes it's even their presence, just their mere presence. They don't even have to interact with the world or engage in the world. They remain hidden from the world. They remain maybe even disconnected from the world. But the fact that they're present in that generation, the fact that they're, they exist, the fact that they have their relationship with God and they're serving Hashem and they have their divine understanding, it already affects the whole world. Because don't forget, we're all connected. And if there's one of us that really is connected with Hashem, you know, every time we strengthen ourselves, we not only strengthen ourselves, we strengthen Jews all over the world. Anytime we're strong and we do a mitzvah and we do the right thing, we tip the scale and bring redemption to the whole world. We change the whole world. So how much more so the tzaddik, if a tzaddik has a deep, profound, inner relationship with God. No one in the world has to know it. It's all within. The whole point of Judaism is that if you want to change the world, it's not through bombastic statements and earth-shattering events. You want to change the world. Say Amen with all your heart and all your soul. Say Amen, Yehesh, Meir, Abba, with all your heart. Do one mitzvah, you'll change the whole world. Create a family, a home. One home, one Jewish home. The foundation is healthy. The cornerstone is healthy. The inside is healthy. How you conduct yourself privately. How you conduct yourself in your thoughts. No one knows what you're thinking, but how you conduct it, how you think. Your attitudes. What you do quietly and privately literally affects and impacts the whole world because it's internal. We are a microcosm. And what goes on in the world is just a reflection of what's going on inside of us. So the hidden tzaddik is hidden. But the impact of the tzaddik is universal. The fact that these 36 tzaddikim have a, a relationship, a very deep, profound relationship with godliness, and they sense godliness, and they have a relationship, that affects the whole generation, that affects the whole world. The whole world, it sustains the world. It changes the atmosphere in the world. They allow godliness to seep in, to filter in. The clearer you are in your life about godliness, the clearer the world becomes. The more refined the world becomes. The coarser we become in our personal lives, the coarser we are in our thought, in our speech, in our action, the world becomes coarse. The more refined we are in our personal lives, the greater difficulties we overcome in our personal life, the world becomes a better place. So the tzaddik, who has a very hidden, but a very deep, inner, profound relationship with God, affects the whole Jewish people. He illuminates, his soul illuminates the whole Jewish people without their knowing. He's not a leader who's giving speeches, who's inspiring. They don't even know of his existence. But the mere fact that he exists and his soul is on fire 
already makes life easier for all of us. He already allows us, He illuminates our souls, that we're able to relate to Godliness, we're able to sense Godliness, we're able to perceive Godliness, and our service to God becomes that much more accessible and that, and that easier. So His mere presence in the world already affects us in the deepest way, in the most profound way. And this is the whole foundation of Judaism. Judaism is within. Judaism is genuine. Judaism is private, is intimate, is real. It's not external. So even if it's secret, it has a tremendous effect on us, an impact on all of us. And a great Rebbe once said, his son asked him, he says, where are the hidden tzaddikim? So he says, if you think that the revealed tzaddik, <laughs> that what you see is what you get, you're making a mistake. The revealed tzaddik is sometimes the hidden tzaddik, because what you see and what you know is nothing in comparison to what the tzaddik really is. You don't even know the depth and the profundity of his personal relationship with God. What he reveals is maybe it's not even scratching the surface. It doesn't even plumb the depth of who he is. So he's hiding the biggest disguise could be going public. Because someone who's public, you think you know. The public tzaddik, you think you know. How many people do we really know public figures? You don't know them. It's an image. You think you know. You don't really know them, personally, privately. You don't know what's really going on. So the public person, the public tzaddik that you think you know, well, you don't know what's hidden. There's so much more that you have no clue. You can't even begin to fathom. So the hidden tzaddik, what a person does hiddenly, what's going on in his personal life, what's going on privately, what's going on in your thoughts, what's going on in your home, in your bedroom, what's going on quietly in your daily life, has a tremendous impact that's not always visible, but it has an impact. It has an effect. And that's true of every one of us. How much more so the tzaddik. The tzaddik is the foundation of the world. We have an impact on the world around us. Every time a Jew walks down the street and a Jew has a holy soul and he believes, you refine the street. Every time you walk down the street and you're thinking, especially if you're saying words of Torah by heart, words of Psalms, words of Tanya, words of Mishnah, you're purifying the air. You're clearing up pollution. Just like you have physical pollution, carbon, you also have spiritual pollution. When you go down the street and you say words of Torah as you're walking, going about your daily business, you purify the air. You clear up the pollution. And you clear up the pollution, you can breathe easily. And you can sense godliness easily. Healthy, healthy air, fresh air. Ear in Hebrew comes from the word avir. Avir is ur yud, where the, the yud, the pintle yid, the divine spark within us, is ur, is illuminated. That's healthy, healthy ear. Healthy ear is an ear which you can breathe, which you feel healthy, which inspires you and encourages you to do the right thing. An unhealthy ear, a coarse ear, spiritually unhealthy ear, is an ear that you can't breathe. It chokes you. Brings illness, doesn't allow you, doesn't inspire you. Walk down the street, you don't feel inspired to study Torah, to do mitzvah, to unconditional love to your fellow Jew, to do acts of goodness and kindness. Healthy, a healthy atmosphere is a place where you can breathe fresh air. You have the health in you because you, you feel, you sense godliness, you sense good values. You make it happen by you, privately and quietly. You're going down the street and saying 
words of Tillam by heart, or saying words of Tanya by heart, or saying words of Chumash by heart, or saying Torah, thinking Torah, especially saying Torah, you actually purify the year around. So we have a tremendous effect and impact in the world around us. Overt or covert? The hidden tzaddik is covert. But everything that's going on in his heart and soul fires up the Jewish people all over the world, whether they know it or not. They used to say that the, the greater the tzaddik, the bigger the radius of his impact. Like one tzaddik, you know, a Jew a mile, a Jew a mile away was inspired without even knowing. But the fact that his soul was on fire and he was in close proximity to his soul, something would rub off. It was an indirect effect. It wasn't that he heard him speak or he inspired him or he taught him or he looked into his eyes or he smiled at him. It was just the fact that they were in the same radius, in the same presence, lived in the same area that the tzaddik soul was on fire impacted the Jew living in that area. A greater tzaddik had a larger impact. The Rebbe's soul was so on fire that he impacted the whole globe, the whole, the whole universe. It wasn't the corner of the world that, it, that he didn't impact through his personal emissaries and the Chabad houses and still impacted. So it depends on the greatness of the tzaddik, the level of the tzaddik, the impact that he has, directly or indirectly. The hidden tzaddik has an indirect impact because he's not a leader, he's not a teacher, he's quiet. He's hidden, you don't even know he's a tzaddik. But the fact that his soul is on fire, he already, his soul already touches and inspires all of us and he become, they become the foundation of the world. The world couldn't exist without the 36 hidden tzaddik. So... It's these souls that have windows, windows to the heaven, windows to the divine, that allow a glimpse, allow some illumination, some sense that there's something godly, something beyond yourself, something beyond ego, beyond nature, something otherworldly, something that totally blows your mind away, it's beyond human grasp. And you just stand in awe when you experience it. And that wakes you up. And that points you to realize, not to look, to judge the book by its cover, not to look at the world at the surface, but to look at the divine energy that's inside. Look at the, God, the infinite divine creative energy. And that really the substance, everything is truly God. And that lights a fire. And you should be motivated to study Torah, to act like a Jew, to live a Jewish life, study Torah, think like a Jew, speak like a Jew, act like a Jew, do the mitzvah and accomplish your mission of not destroying nature, not destroying the world, crushing the world, obliterating the world, elevating the world, transforming the world from within. The miracle of Purim, the world of nature itself, becomes miraculous. And then God will bless you in your own personal life, that you will see success in your own business, in your own personal life, in your own natural life, you will see a miraculous success. Everything will be natural, but it will be a miraculous. You'll sense that this is divine. Like Joseph, everything he touched turned into gold. Joseph said, this is is Hashem's hands. There's no human fingerprints here. Yes, everything was in a natural way, but it's all divine. When a Jew acts that way, when a Jew follows the Torah and the mitzvot faithfully and overcomes difficulties, and his commitment is unshakable, and then he'll see in his own personal life as well that the natural will all be supernatural will all be miraculous will have a miraculous success in all, all that he does 
Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.